Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. And this is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> spring. Happy spring. Yeah. <laughs> I am such a hot mess. <laughs> Can't get okay. my case together. My kids are still home. Your kids are home. My mic's not working. Yeah, <laughs> we ran into all sorts of technical difficulties this morning. It was funny. <laughs> yes, it was. So what's anyway. up? Nothing. Didn't Easter just happen yesterday? Yes. Happy Easter. If you celebrate that. Yes. Yeah. I, it's funny because we record these like in advance. And so it's like we have to like remember what occurred right before the oh. episodes drop. And I'm like, didn't Easter just happen? Yeah. <laughs> well, we have been eating jelly beans and those little Cadbury chocolate oh. eggs. Not the Cadbury eggs. These are like little mini eggs. Oh. They kind of taste like um, Whoppers, sort of. Oh, okay. You know, mm-hmm. They're like malted eggs. They yeah. are so addictive. Don't get them. And the jelly beans, we got Jolly Rancher jelly beans. Guys, mm-hmm. normally I'm a Starburst jelly bean girl, but we couldn't find them. So I got the Jolly Rancher ones. And I got to tell you, we were not okay over here eating those jelly beans. Like, <laughs> the neighbor kids were like, can we come in your house and have some jelly beans? Like everyone is addicted to these Jolly Rancher jelly beans. Oh my beans. gosh. They're delicious. Oh I don't think I've ever had, well, I'm sure at some point I had them, but Emery's at um, like Brock's jelly bean, like the OG of jelly bean person. So he'll buy bags and bags and bags and bags of those. Yeah. Yeah. There's several flavors in regular jelly beans I don't like. Like no, no one eats black. I mean, he, he can eat black, right? Does he eat the black? I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure he does. But I can't stand it. It's black licorice. That's why I, my favorite one is the white. I usually eat all the whites. <laughs> That's really weird, right? <laughs> it actually, is <laughs> the green ones are terrible too in the Brocks. Yeah. Yeah. There are no bad flavors in Jolly Rancher well, jelly bean bags. Jolly Rancher flavors. Oh my right gosh, there. they're so good. Mm. So anyway, so happy um, Easter. Yeah, happy Easter. If that's your preference, I'm trying to think. Is there any other? Was there any other holidays this weekend that we um that that were not? I don't know. Christian? <laughs> no, Easter. I was like, something's coming up. So for for. Um, Earth Day. Earth Day's coming up. Oh, I like Earth Day. (laughs) That's a good day to celebrate. It is. It is. So, you got any news? No. Um, no. Oh, I do. Um, we have new merch. Oh, right. Yes, we have some shirts on the website that say "Crime Girl Summer." Like hot girl summer. I made them. Yes, I just told Christy. I'm like, I made new shirts. <laughs> so they're really cute, and we haven't talked about merch in a while. So, yeah, we have merch. Get ready for summer. Yeah, there's tanks and teas, and then all the old stuff is still on there too. The water bottle is still my favorite. Yeah, and that crop sweatshirt. I haven't gotten one yet. Oh, I need good. To. I need to order a new sweatshirt, so I, I'm going to have to decide. I know. We, we've had our merch now for two years, so like we have to reorder <laughs> so we yeah, wear it out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. That's it. That's all my news I have. Do you have any news? I don't think so. Except if you haven't joined Patreon, you should because you're missing out. Some really cool stuff going on there. We just had a little meeting about it. Yeah, and it's going to get even better. It's heating up in the coming months. But yeah, we're having lots of fun with it. So go find us. Join $3 a month. Yep. And if you already have, you can go get a Closet Sister shirt and be legit. Oh, yeah. And don't they get a code? I don't know. Did we say that they get a code? I don't know. know. Maybe. Maybe we should for special... um, Springtime, maybe Patreon. Since there's new stuff, stay tuned, guys. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We're gonna throw at you. (laughs) Look at us. We make decisions while we're recording. (laughs) It's true. Um, (laughs) Speaking of what I'm gonna throw at you, though, Mm -hmm. I am about to throw a case at you. Okay, I'm so ready for it. It's coming. Catch. (laughs) 
Okay, friend. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> this case was suggested by our listener, Emily. Listen how cool Emily is. Emily is a forensic science major. Shut up. I know. And I want to be she- her friend. I know, right? She, we are friends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she listens. Um, she found this particular case while she was writing a paper. So oh. she wrote an entire forensic science paper on this case. It's a big case, much bigger than well, like. I'm glad that you're doing it because she can judge you now. She can judge me. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I started to ask her if I could read her paper, too. <laughs> but I did it. Um, anyway, okay. So really big case. It's got a huge message. Keep in mind, I'm condensing to fit our format. Don't get upset. There's a lot more info out there, and I'll tell you where to go if you want to go down the rabbit hole, which I totally did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we just can't talk about it here. It's already going to be long. I already warned Christy, like, it's going to be long. You're going to be mad probably gonna be confused so here we go okay i got my paper for notes on this one okay good all right (laughs) this is the case of curtis flowers and the tardy furniture murders Ah, okay Okay. so this story takes place in winona mississippi in 1996 winona is a small town 4300 residents it's about 90 minutes from jackson mississippi which is the biggest city. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. We have like, we all have connections to all mm-hmm. you and I both to Jackson. It's a pretty quaint town. And in the 1940s, during World War II, a man named Tom Tardy opened up Tardy Furniture on a downtown street in Winona. The shop did really well and it really blossomed and came, became like a staple of the town. So it was just like one of those landmarks, Tardy Furniture, everyone knows it been there forever you know whatever so bertha the store decorator um she in 1985 bought the store from tom i don't know why i mean i don't think he was that old back then but maybe he just wanted to sell and retire and let somebody else run it so bertha was the decorator she'd been there for a long time so in 1985 she bought it Tom would still come in every day and work just because he loved it. It was his store, but he wasn't involved in like running it, the ins and outs, any of that stuff. Okay, so Bertha, Bertha Bennett was born on May 8th, 1937. She had gone to interior design school in New York and was a really good decorator. She moved back home to Winona and became the lead designer at Tardy Furniture. She would decorate the store. She would give design tips to customers And then again in 1985, she bought it from Tom. Interestingly, after working together for several years in 1994, she and Tom Tardy got married. Oh, so she bought his owner again? (laughs) Well, I guess co owner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's a cute little like love story there. Um, So Bertha, she was really involved in the community of Winona. She served on a bunch of committees, a bunch of boards. I can list them all, but there's just like a ton. She's a super, super smart lady. She has a daughter from a previous marriage that she was very close to and a grandson that she absolutely adored. And at the time of our case, she was 59 years old. Okay. Okay. Then we have Carmen Rigby, who also worked at Tardy Furniture, and she had been there for over 20 years. She worked on the sales floor and did bookkeeping at the store. She was born April 1st, 1951. She was married. She had two college-age sons, and she is described as very sweet and smart. At the time of our case, she was 45 years old. So we have Bertha and Carmen, these two boss ladies who ran this furniture store in downtown Winona. In September of 1996, Bertha had hired some new employees. She hired 42-year-old Robert Golden. I love that name. Isn't that a cool name? Mm -hmm. Robert Golden. Like, he should Mm -hmm. be a superhero or something. I don't even know. (laughs) He was born August 13th, 1953. He had graduated from Mississippi State University. He was married with two sons, and he had been hired as a furniture delivery driver. He was described as very kind and generous. Um, he, One of his sons was a diabetic, and the other one had some disabilities, so he was like a really hardworking family man trying to like take care of his kids and just good man. 
Bertha also had just hired 16-year-old Derek Stewart, who went by the name Bobo. Derek was born, (laughs) I'll tell you why. He was born May 24th, 1980. He was a high school student in Winona, and he played football and baseball, and he loved to play pool. He was really, really good at baseball. Like he was a pitcher mm-hmm. and played shortstop and he got his nickname because his friends would like joke and say he was like Bo Derek because his name's Derek. Okay. And so it just spun off into Bobo and that's the nickname that stuck. He was voted most handsome and most athletic. He's a cutie pie. Cutie pie, little all-American boy. And he was hired to, like, help load and unload the furniture and help out with deliveries. Okay. So he's a young kid, 16-year-old, part-time, you know, job. Okay. So on Tuesday, July 16th of 1996, Bertha had asked a former employee named Sam Jones to come in and help her train these two new employees. So Sam had worked for Tardy for 50 years, but he'd recently retired. But Bertha would call him every now and then to come in and help out with like things like this. You know, like I've got Mm -hmm. these two new guys. I need to run the store. I can't really teach them how to do deliveries and load furniture and all that stuff. Can you just come in and like train them? So Sam's like, sure, I'll be there. He gets to the store around 10 o'clock on July 16th. The doors are unlocked. The lights are on. When he walked in, everything was normal, but nobody was there. So he's like yelling. He said he thought, like, are they playing a prank on me? Like, where is everybody? And then he hears a weird noise and he walks around some furniture and saw 16-year-old Derek lying on the ground with his hat knocked off in a pool of blood, struggling to breathe. Oh my. Next to him, next to Derek, leaning against the sales counter, he sees 42 year old Robert laying motionless, covered in blood. And just a few feet away from him, he saw 45 year old Carmen lying face down in a pool of blood with her car keys still in her hand. So he's seeing three three people who are clearly Mm -hmm. injured, covered in blood. He walks around and he then sees the legs of 59-year-old Bertha not moving, sticking out from behind a sofa. Mm. So Sam freaks out. He's like, somebody has killed these people. He runs out and runs to a business next door and called 911. And that call came in at 10.21 a.m. Okay, so an officer is just a few blocks away. So he was there within like minutes. Like he... So um, Sam went to the next door business, made the 911 call, and then walked back to Tardy Furniture, and the officer was pulling up as he was walking back. So that's how quickly he was there. He went inside, saw this scene, and immediately comes back out, calls for backup, calls for an ambulance, calls a coroner. So Bertha, Carmen, and Robert were all pronounced dead at the scene. Derek, the 16-year-old, was taken by ambulance to the hospital. Mm. He was placed on life support, and he did survive for six days. But after that, they removed the life support, and he passed away. He never regained consciousness. So the crime scene was taped off, and there were a lot of people around. This became a huge spectacle, like what happened at Tardy Furniture. Like I said, it's like a staple in the town. So there were people gathered like on the street and the hill above the store just to see what was going on. Um, The mayor was there. It's a big thing. Crime scene investigators were brought in from Jackson to help out with the investigation. Okay, so it was determined that all four victims had been shot execution style in the back of the head. Oh, my. They had all only been shot one time, except for Carmen, who was shot twice. She's the one that had the keys in her hand. Okay. So five bullets, four victims. Okay. Mm -hmm. None of the victims had been restrained or tied up. And it appeared that most of them had been moving, even probably running when they were shot. Oh, wow. So someone walked in, shot all four of them quickly Mm -hmm. and accurately in the head before they could get away and run out. Okay. Can you define execution style then to me? Because to me, execution style is like you're on your hands and knees and they're just like being right there. So I thought that too. (laughs) 
<laughs> I agree. I thought that too. I don't know if execution style is just like point blank in the back of the head. I don't know if it means that they actually were like stationary on their knees. I thought it was weird to describe it as that as well. They right. were not yeah. on their knees. They were moving around. Okay. Okay. But if you think about that, that's some accurate shooting. Yeah. No kidding. Like that would have had, there's four people that would have had to have happened so quick, so accurately in yeah. order for all of them to, to be killed before they could get away. So whoever did this knew what they were doing. Okay. Investigators found no forced entry. Nothing was disturbed and nothing was taken. No furniture was taken, lamps, none of that stuff. The safe was open, but it was un- it was not open. I'm sorry. The door was shut, but it was unlocked. Okay. So they could have just opened right. the safe door, but nothing was disturbed. Okay. There was so nothing right come through. To deal that. They- nope. Bertha's yeah, purse okay. was laying on her desk. It was completely untouched. The There was a cash register, and the cash register was empty of cash. There was only coins in it, so there were mm-hmm. no like paper bills. So either someone took the cash out, or it just hadn't been put in yet for the morning. Oh, okay. So they later believed that there was cash in it, because based on like the books... They think that there was around like $400 that they couldn't account for. So they think maybe there was like $400 put in the cash register that had been taken out, but they just grabbed the bills. Okay. If, if they did. But either way, it's robbery was not a motive. Right. Like there was a lot of stuff that they could have taken. And, you know, other than being shot, the victims had no other injuries. So, you know, a lot of times you... In a situation where there's multiple victims, you can tell that one of the victims is the target Mm -hmm. because they're beat up or assaulted in some way or something like that. That was not the case in this particular scenario. They all were just shot. Mm -hmm. Fingerprints were taken and all were found to be unremarkable. So either they were unidentified or uh, they belonged to the employees that were there. Okay. Police found five shell casings, okay, indicating mm-hmm. that five shots have been fired. That's it. And remember, we have five bullet wounds. Mm-hmm. So they never missed. Right. It was all just boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. No missed shots whatsoever. They also found a live round. So a bullet that had not been shot. And what that indicates is that the gun had jammed at some point. And the bullet had to be, like, manually ejected from the gun. Mm, Okay. So not only did they quickly and accurately shoot all four of these people before they could get away, but the jump, the gun, words are hard, (laughs) the gun jammed at some some point. And so that would take some time, too, to, like, eject. So this was a proficient shooter. Mm -hmm. All of the shells were consistent with a 38, 380 caliber pistol. So they were all a 380. Investigators found shoe prints in blood around the bodies, and these were very distinct shoe prints. They were identified to be Grant Hill Fila shoes. Oh, wow. Can you all picture these in your mind? Can you Mm -hmm. picture? Do you remember the Mm mid-90s and these white Uh Grant Fila shoes? Yes. We all either had a pair or we knew somebody who had a pair. We all kept the boxes when we got a pair because they were like the cool shoes back in the day. I'll post a picture of them just for nostalgia purposes. Okay. okay. And they were determined to be a size 10 and a half shoe. Very average size. So Sam, the man who had walked in on the scene, was interviewed and his shoes were inspected. There was no blood on them. There was no blood on him. No gunshot residue. And the shoes were like a different size and a different style. So he was ruled out as a suspect pretty quickly. No one in the surrounding businesses or in the area reported seeing or hearing anything that morning. So what we know is that somebody walked in to this well-known squeaky clean business shot and killed four innocent people quickly, precisely, and then just walked back out in broad daylight. Mm. At 10 o'clock and in the no morning. Cameras, so. No cameras. No cameras, nothing. Investigators had no suspects, and the town was freaking out 
completely shaken. So a lot of pressure on law enforcement and investigators to figure out who did this. A $30,000 reward is offered and police begin furiously trying to solve this murder. So Bertha's daughter, Bertha is the owner, remember, she had a conversation early on with investigators about previous employees at the store because we know nine times out of 10, these things happen by the victims know their killer most of the Mm -hmm. time. She mentioned a man by the name of Curtis Flowers. So Curtis Flowers had only worked for Tardy Furniture for three days, and he had just been fired two weeks before this incident. Curtis had been asked to go pick up some large batteries. That's how it was described. And he had forgotten to strap the batteries down. So while they were being moved, the batteries fell and were damaged. Mm. So Bertha had told him that she was going to have to dock his pay for that. So he just quit coming. He was just like, well, I'll just find another job. Like, I'm not going to work for free kind of thing. Like, I'll just find Mm -hmm. another job. And so because he quit coming in, he was fired. That had happened just a couple weeks before. Interestingly, there was a paycheck for him laying on Bertha's desk, which is random. It was for like 80 some dollars. So she was planning on paying him for his time. Right. Okay. So Curtis, let me tell you about him. Curtis is an African-American man. He was born and raised in Winona and he was 26 years old at the time that this happened and was currently living with his girlfriend and her children. Curtis was one of six children. He was very close with his family and he was known as a devout Christian. He grew up in church and he was a member of a gospel singing group along with his dad. And this was like his passion. Like his thing. All he did was talk about his faith, singing, music. He loved his church. He loved being a part of this group. He was good, too. I watched a video of him performing, and he was good. He's in a suit, very handsome. And Hmm. he is described as a very passive man. So he doesn't like to fight, doesn't like to get in arguments, like just just a chill dude. So police went and they questioned Curtis. And they brought him in and they swabbed his hands for gunshot residue. They found one particle of gunshot residue on his right hand. One. One particle. Okay. So he could have washed his hands. Right. Or he could have gotten that one particle from, I don't know, the police car, being in the Uh police station, an officer's hand. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's one particle. Right, yeah. Like, yeah blowback from shooting four people one particle but remember remember that was uh in that jordan the kid case that we covered it was like one particle too yeah well he actually had three particles i remember and i went back and listened because yeah it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense right yeah okay you know forensically but okay Mm -hmm. but it's there he has one right so okay right right So the police asked him where he was that morning, and he told them that he was at home with his girlfriend's children until about nine o'clock when they went to their grandparents' house. And then he stopped at his sister's house and hung out with some people for a few minutes and then just went home. So these people do corroborate that Curtis had come by that morning, but he wasn't there long enough to cover the entire window of when the crime could have occurred. So like his alibi is not great. Mm Mm-hmm. So police search Curtis's home where he was living with his girlfriend. And in the headboard of their bed, they find $245 in cash that had been hidden there. Okay. So, I mean. Well, but people do that. Like they sometimes hide cash places. That's true. I have a friend who has cash all over her house. Like yeah. literally everywhere, $20 mm-hmm. bills, just everywhere. I don't know right. why she does that, but it cracks me up. And in one of the closets, they found a shoebox for Grant Hill Fila shoes. Okay. Oh. So the shoes are missing from the box and they ask him about it. And he's like, those are not my shoes. I've never bought those shoes. I've never owned them. And the girlfriend says that those shoes belong to her teenage son And that he had outgrown them and they had just gotten rid of the shoes, like given them away or thrown them away or whatever. And the teenage son says, yes, those were my shoes. I don't know where they are. Ten and a half. They were ten and a half. Yeah. Okay. But her her teenage son was a ten and a half. They wore the same size. So, 
Mm-hmm. Okay, there's no gun found in the house or anywhere on his person or in his belongings, nowhere. There's no bloody clothing, nothing like that found. Curtis tells police that he had no ill will toward Bertha or tardy furniture and that she had actually been really nice to him and that she that he felt really bad about what happened and like it was embarrassing to him. And that's why he quit going. She said that Bertha had advanced him thirty dollars on his paycheck before payday had come just to help him out and that he had nothing but like nice things to say about her. Mm-hmm. And he said over and over again that he this this was not me like I would never do anything like this. Mm hmm. Interestingly, on the same morning that these murders occurred, a 380 caliber pistol had been stolen from a man's car while he was at work. This man's name is Doyle Simpson, and he was Curtis's uncle. Oh, so Doyle had reported that he had been working. He was a janitor at a sewing factory like across town from Tardy Furniture. And that he had been working there that morning and he finished up his work, came out to his car and his glove box, which was normally locked, was open and his gun that he kept in there was missing. So police are like, well, this is his uncle. So he probably knew that Doyle kept a gun in his car and stole it and committed these murders. That's what they think happened. So all kinds of circumstantial evidence. And whoever I will, took that gun, sorry, is probably knew it was there. Because if it was typically locked, right, then they they probably knew it was there and like busted into it. And it was the only it just thing taken, right? Instead of it just being some random person that like, oh, the door's open, let me see what I can find in this car. And right, they went whatever. specifically for the gun. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the police are like, this is enough. This is circumstantial. He's previous employee. There was an issue. He was fired. He's got this money hidden in his headboard. We've got the shoebox. We've got the stolen gun, which he has a connection to the person who reported it missing. So they arrest Curtis and charge him with four counts of capital murder. And he was denied bail. Yeah. Wow. And we will get into what happens next right after this break. Okay. Okay, so the prosecution comes up with a theory. Now, I'm just going to tell you what the theory is. This okay. prose- this district attorney, okay, his name is Doug Evans. I'm going to talk about him again. He's important. He has some serious tunnel vision when it comes mm-hmm. to this theory. And I, I, when I say serious tunnel vision, this is the worst case of tunnel vision I think I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Mm. researching all the crimes that we research. So after they gather the circumstantial evidence against Curtis, they just ru- they just ran with it. They just ran with it. They were like, They're, we're not looking at any other leads. We're not considering any other suspects. People were coming forward with other leads. Like there were even the family members of the victims were mentioning other people. And they were like, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. No, it's Curtis. It's 100% mm-hmm. Curtis. No other criminals in the area that had histories of this type of crime were ever considered. Not Doyle Simpson, who owned the gun that they're saying allegedly was used. No one but Curtis. They zeroed in on him and they built their case around him. Mm -hmm. So the prosecution theorizes that Curtis was a disgruntled employee who wanted to get back at the furniture store and Bertha and maybe pocket some cash in the process. Okay. Probably no surprise to you right now. I don't think Curtis did this. Mm-hmm. I think that he is innocent of this particular crime. My well, biggest... I mean, based on what you're, you've said about him so far, like he doesn't seem like the type of person that would. And everything, as they've already said, is circumstantial. So, yes, there's some coincidences there. Right. That, that you are can find if you're looking for them. Right. Yes. Like if you want to make everything a coincidence, you could do that. You, the, I could be charged with this murder if you wanted to like look at my internet history, look at my, I mean, like you can find stuff on anybody that can like put, put a puzzle together for you. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing is, and it, this is so simple to me, Curtis, he didn't have a gun. Mm-hmm. He had never owned a gun. He wasn't experienced with a gun. Had he ever fired a gun? Did he ever admit to ever firing one? No. Only shotguns. 
which are okay. very different. Very mm-hmm. big, giant rifle-type guns, not handguns, okay? There is no way that he could, a person who is ex- not experienced with a gun at all, could have walked into that store, shot all four of those people in the head, never missed, never missed one time before they could get away. There's no way. He would not have been able to do that. And he would not have been able to like clear the gun if it jammed. Like these are especially quickly. Right. Like there's just no way. And I personally think that it would be hard for any one person to have done that. Mm -hmm. I think there probably had to be more than one person. Yeah, that's true. (coughs) Not to mention like what you said, this, he has no criminal history. He has no history of violence, no history of anger issues. He was known to be very high character, passive, religious. Like, this dude is squeaky clean. Mm-hmm. And right. all of a sudden, he killed four people for $400? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't make a whole lot In of sense. In an impossible manner? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the police went out into the community and started to question people to see if they saw Curtis that day. So you heard me right. They went out mm-hmm. into the community to question people. People were not coming to them and saying right. like, okay, so we have something to report. We saw something. They were going to people and being like, you think you might have seen Curtis that morning? And they're like, mm-hmm. well, maybe. Yeah, I might have. So they weren't reporting it to police. This was not something that stuck out in their heads. So that's problematic, in my opinion. Well, it is their job to go out and question people, though. I mean, it is, When a crime occurs. But to question... (laughs) I'm just saying. I agree. I agree. (laughs) Especially people in the community. But anyway, so they do find some eyewitnesses that say that they did see Curtis walking in, like, one place or another. So -hmm. they basically just find, like, people all over town who are, like oh, yeah, I may have seen him walking down this street that day. And, oh, then maybe I saw him down this street, you know, four or five minutes later walking down this street that day. But they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. And there is one witness, and this is probably the most damning, or it is the most damning one for um, Curtis. She claims that she saw him running from Tartar Furniture in the direction of his house, like around the time in the window when the murders could have occurred. And she's like, he was running. Like, he was running like somebody was after him running, and it was weird to me. Oh, so it didn't just look like he was out for a run. Is he a right. runner? No, no. She, he was running from something, mm-hmm. she said. All the other witnesses, by the way, say he was walking. And she was positive it was him, not some other dude. Well, so she says, she, they say she said she was, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that okay. makes any sense. Got she it. knows mm-hmm. Curtis. It's a small town. She was very familiar with him. Like, they were friends. This wasn't just, like, somebody she'd seen once or twice. So it's a pretty positive ID on her part. Okay, so the investigator's theory. On the morning of July 16th, Curtis woke up and decided that he wanted revenge. He walked from his house to the sewing factory, to his uncle's car, broke in, and stole the gun. Now, this is based on eyewitnesses. Okay, so they've got eyewitnesses. They're saying they found eyewitnesses along the route from his house to the sewing factory. Mm -hmm. Then he walks back home. Okay. Okay. Which is away from tardy furniture. Okay. Then he leaves his home and walks back to tardy furniture, kills the four people, and then walks back down towards the sewing factory, which is like the most out of the way thing ever and then back to his house what would be the reason to do that it's not like he there's put the gun literally back so that no it didn't reason. get stolen <laughs> literally no reason it's the most ridiculous route i have ever seen it makes no sense like okay i'm gonna say i have a husband who takes questionable routes sometimes to get to places. And I'm like, why would you go that way to go this way? And he swears it's faster. This is not one of those cases where it's like, he's going two minutes out of his way because he thinks that it saves time or he thinks that it's the same distance. I'm talking about he walks all the way around town when there's a direct route from Tardy Furniture to his house. It makes no sense. It's ridiculous. Okay. 
But how did they come up with this if that one lady said she saw him running towards his house from Target? Exactly. It doesn't make sense. Okay. So they're finding all of these. They're, they're saying they're finding all of these witnesses who may have seen him walking that day on this particular route. And they had to make this his route in order to make those witnesses make sense. <laughs> but now the other witness who's they make no saying... Sense. But now it discredits the other witness because that, he couldn't have been running as and fast as he could away from Tardy Furniture. <laughs> all of the other witnesses have put him in different clothes. <laughs> like it's all over the place. Like some people are like, oh, he was wearing a white shirt and black pants. And then somebody else is like, no, it was a blue shirt and, and khaki shorts. And <laughs> it's like, and no one sees him in the Fila shoes. Okay. Oh my and goodness. Also, gracious. how do you? Oh, okay. I know. Mm-hmm. Also, I see where the tunnel vision comes into play now. Exactly. <laughs> like they're just—it's ridiculous. The route is ridiculous. It's it, like I'm going to post a picture of it because it's so stupid. And and he would have had to have gotten rid of the gun, gotten rid of his shoes, those Fila shoes, gotten rid of his clothing. None of that was found anywhere on this route. So. So he had to veer off the route at some point, but they're swearing he didn't based on the eyewitness statements. Okay, can I, I don't, can I ask one more question? I'm sorry. Ask away. <laughs> um, when, when did they arrest him? How long after? I'm getting into that. Murders? Okay. Oh, he was arrested. I want to say he was not arrested until like January. So it happened in September. And okay. all this time they're interviewing witnesses and all of this stuff and and finding the route. When did they first question him? The same day. That day. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's when they did the gunshot, found the gunshot okay. residue. That's, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what I said. Okay. So he's, he's arrested. He goes on trial in October of 1997. Okay. So the evidence against him, the eyewitnesses putting him on this route that the prosecutors claimed that he walked, mm-hmm. they've got the stolen gun from his uncle and then they have bullets and the and the stolen gun is a 380 caliber and the bullets found at the scene are 380 caliber they have the cash that was hidden in his headboard they have the shoe box that's found in the closet that matches the shoe prints at the crime scene and they have one particle of gunshot residue found on Curtis's hand on the day of the murders that's it okay so the defense brings up that none of this evidence actually points to him committing this crime at all. They say this walking route is ridiculous. It makes no sense. These eyewitnesses are really not all of that credible because they're not really sure and they're all over the place with the closing clothing description and they kind of they literally put him all over town. Like I'm not kidding you. If the town is a square, he essentially walked all around the square. So it's like every single place in the town, he was spotted. Every right. single place in town. Like there's not one perimeter place that is missed. They can't prove that he stole the gun. They can't prove that the bullets from the scene even match the stolen gun because it's missing. There's no way, there's no evidence that Curtis owned a pair of shoes. They have someone else testifying that they were their shoes. No one ever saw him wearing the shoes. He has no experience with a gun. The amount of gunshot residue in no way implicates implicates that he could have shot four people that day, five bullets, four people, mm-hmm. that it could have come from anywhere at the station that day. And Curtis even says, whenever they ask him, why do you have gunshot residue on your hands? He was like, that's from fireworks. He's like, I was setting off fireworks yesterday and they have gunpowder in them. Oh, So that's where he says they're from, which makes total sense, but completely blown off. Regardless of, I mean, do you see reasonable doubt? I do. I'm just like, uh, so lots I of don't even, doubt. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, all I hear is a bunch of coincidences that they're just pulling together and linking. To. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. But by a jury of all white jurors, oh, Curtis was found guilty of all of the charges and sentenced to death. What? He really was. Sentence well, sorry, that was like the loudest what I've ever... Oh, <laughs> capital murder. The... Four counts of capital murder. Oh, how... So, but, mm. Now, hang on with me, okay? Because I'm about to take okay. you on a ride. All right, so you're going to have to hold on to your pants. I'm going to probably go quick here. You're not going to believe it. You're not okay. going to believe okay. what happens here. Okay? Okay. Curtis files an appeal. 
and shortly after his conviction, it is overturned due to prosecutorial misconduct. Shocking. Good call. Good call, right? Mm -hmm. And he's granted a new trial. The same prosecutor, the same one, Doug Evans, decides he's going to try the case again. I believe he's guilty. I believe we have evidence to show. So a new trial is held in 1999. Okay. Why would that be allowed? That the one who just wait. The, okay. Just wait. <laughs> okay. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, you can ask questions. If you have questions, holler because I'm going quick now. I'm getting. I'm getting mm-hmm. uh, upset. Okay. In this trial, in this trial, the second trial, the district attorney brings in a jailhouse snitch who claims that Curtis confessed to the murders while they were cellmates. Oh, yeah, because they could always be trusted. We always hate a jailhouse switch. I mean, snitch. (laughs) Switch. (laughs) That sounds pretty awful, too. A jailhouse (laughs) switch doesn't sound a lot of fun either, but... Anyway, so they have this person coming in saying, yes, he told me we were cellmates, and he told me. Curtis is again found guilty... And sentenced to death by a jury of 11 white and one black jurors. I'm bringing this up because it's important, okay? Mm -hmm. This conviction was again overturned due to prosecutorial misconduct because the jailhouse snitched confessed to being coerced and offered money. Don't tell me they let Doug Evans prosecute it again. For a third time. They let him do it again for a third time. Trial number three, 2004. No new evidence. Curtis was again found guilty by a jury of 11 white and one black. Okay. Hmm. So this conviction is again overturned because this time it was determined that the district attorney, Doug Evans, showed racial discrimination during his jury selection. Well, uh. so you're allowed seven challenges during a jury selection process and seven of them the D.A. used to dismiss African-American jurors. Oh, yeah. Those jurors were excused for answering the same questions the exact same way as the white potential jurors, but the African-American ones were dismissed. They were challenged. So it's very clear that this district attorney has blinders on he's gunning for curtis like mm-hmm. i don't care what it takes somebody you know there are going to be people who know him personally who see him as a reasonable per- reasonable person and i'm not here for those people being on my jury and i'll do whatever i can to get this man convicted gross so gross so curtis is granted a fourth trial and guess what no doug evans tries him again that man should not be allowed to be the, the, the prosecutor. I know. Mississippi. Call me Mississippi. I got to tell you something. Okay. okay. So the fourth trial was held in 2007, and a jury of seven white and five black jurors ended in a mistrial. Okay. So Doug Evans tries the case for a fifth time. I can't make it up. And this goes in 2008, and it also ends in a mistrial with a jury of nine white and three black. Five trials, three convictions, two mistrials. Overturned three times. <laughs> Overturned three times because the DA is a, not a nice guy. And then whenever he's actually given a jury of his peers, it's a mistrial. So there's reasonable doubt in their opinion. So, okay, and he's in jail this entire time. He is in jail this entire time. What's the time span that, like, it took to do these five trials? There's more trials. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, we're in 2010 now. We're in 2010. He was arrested in 1997. So in 2010, he has a sixth trial with Doug Evans, by the way. Just, I mean... I know you probably guessed it. This is a jury of 11 white and one black. He is again found guilty of all charges and sentenced to death. Hmm. Now, in six trials so far, Doug Evans has two incidents of misconduct, one of racial discrimination. Mm -hmm. In all six trials, he had a total of 42 challenges. 41 of them were used to dismiss African-American jurors. 41 of 42. And you guys don't see it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Wake up. Open your eyes. Everyone, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here he is. He's been convicted. 2010, sentenced to death. There he sits. In 2018, a podcast series was done on Curtis's case. Hallelujah for podcasters. I'm just saying. <laughs> Six trials for one crime. This is pretty unprecedented. So it caught mm-hmm. someone's attention. It's called In the Dark. During this podcast, journalists took a really deep dive into the district attorney's office, into the investigation, into the subsequent trials. They spoke with the eyewitnesses, most of which recanted their testimonies, saying, like, I'm actually not really sure whether I did see him or not. They've got the jailhouse snitch recanted their testimonies, saying, yep, I was coerced. He offered me money. I feel really bad about doing that. They uncovered, now get this, in 2001... A man reported finding a 380 caliber pistol hidden in the crawl space under his house in 2001. So this is in between trial two and three. Hmm. So it's he's had two trials and then it's before the third trial. Somebody finds a gun hidden in the crawl space of their house that is the exact same caliber as the one that was used in the murder. He turns the gun into police And then the gun just disappears. No. The police either claim that they didn't receive it, that the man is lying, he never gave him a gun, or they say that, oh, yeah, we did get it. We sent it off for testing. It's at the lab. But there's no record of it anywhere. No record of them receiving it. No record of them sending it to the lab. Nothing. Interestingly. proximity to Tardy pretty close okay the guy with the gun that's exactly what i was just getting ready to say it's in the opposite direction completely off the route about a mile off the route oh that they swear curtis Mm -hmm. was on because their eyewitnesses said right so this based on all of this stuff they they also uncover too this in this podcast when they're doing their investigation a lot of other suspects that some of them were actually looked at, but were never discussed in open court. So like Hmm. they questioned other people and looked into other suspect, but never told the defense about, oh, well, you know, we did, we did think about this person too. They just left that all out, which is hello, Brady violation. Mm. So all of this new information was taken to the Supreme court. This is 2019. Curtis's conviction was again overturned. And this time he was granted a new trial again, but this time he was granted bail. Okay. Gosh, man's been in jail for 20 something years. Yep. Over 21 years (sighs) for the first time in December of 2019, Curtis was released from prison on bail. He was put on house arrest and he was ordered to wear an ankle monitor. 21 years. So, Doug Evans is severely reprimanded for his misconduct that is all coming out now. Although, why is it all coming out now? I don't know. I I mean, I saw it the entire way through. But anyway. Well, people are speaking out now. Exactly. People are making noise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a judge said, I'm going to quote this because I liked it. The state's relentless, determined effort to rid the jury of black individuals strongly suggests that the state wanted to try flowers before a jury with as few black jurors as possible, ideally before an all-white jury. We cannot ignore that history. Mm Mm-hmm. No. So cool. In January of 2020, Doug Evans recused himself from the case... And turned the case over to the state to decide if they wanted to retry Curtis for a seventh time. Okay. Are you tired? I'm tired. Okay. So after looking at the lack of evidence (laughs) or the evidence, whatever, that's my interjection there. In September of 2020, the state of Mississippi formally dropped all of the charges against Curtis Flowers, with prejudice, which means he cannot ever be charged with these murders again. So Curtis is free. A $500,000 settlement was awarded to Curtis for wrongful imprisonment, and he is ordered to be paid $50,000 a year for 10 years. 
In March of 2021, Curtis got married to a beautiful woman named Marlena. And in September of 2021, he filed a lawsuit against the district attorney, Doug Evans, for his misconduct, pressuring witnesses to fabricate claims against Curtis, ignoring other leads and suspects, and racial injustices. Yes. That lawsuit is pending. Curtis is 51 years old and living his life as a free man. Hallelujah. Holy moly. I know you're not done, but... (laughs) Because we still have a murder to talk about. Right. Yeah. Right. So who committed these murders? Who killed Bertha Tardy, Carmen Rigby, Robert Golden, and Derek Stewart? Mm -hmm. Okay. So real quickly, I'm just going to go through the theories because I know you guys have been with me for a while. One theory is a man named Willie James Hemphill. He had a long history of criminal offenses in Winona. When he was questioned, because he was questioned... He was wearing Grant Hill Fila sneakers. He claimed to be at a mall in Memphis with a woman during the time of the murders, but the woman denies this, saying that she was in Winona. Hmm. Willie's girlfriend told police that when she left home for work that morning, Willie was home. So he's lying about his alibi. Although he was initially considered a suspect, that information was withheld from the defense and the jury never heard about Willie. Never Did heard he have gunshot residue on his hands. I don't know. I don't know if they tested him or not. Um, so this is one of the many reasons why Curtis's charges were dropped is because the defense never the jury never heard like, oh, there's another criminal in the area that makes a lot more sense. Huh? Okay. Another criminal. Curtis isn't even a criminal. Well, there's exactly. a criminal in the area. A hundred percent. Yes. Thank right. you for that correction. Mm-hmm. You are a hundred percent right. Another theory for who could have possibly committed the murders was a group of boys called the Birmingham Boys. During the summer of 1996, there was a group of young men who were committing a slew of robbery and murders in the area of Birmingham, Alabama, which is only a couple hours away from Winona. They would shoot their victims in the back of a head, back of the head with a 380 caliber pistol. They have footage of some of these murders and in one in some of the footage, the gun jams just like they believe happened in the Tardy murders. Hmm. And in some of the footage, some of the men are wearing Grant Hill Fila sneakers. Holy moly. Okay. There are some reports that one or more of them admitted to doing a hit in Mississippi, and investigators even used some of their photos in the lineups that were given to the eyewitnesses. So, like, they would give the eyewitnesses a lineup and say, can you show me which man you saw walking on the street on this day, their photos were used in that lineup along with Curtis's. Were any of them ever picked? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Again, the jury never heard any of this information during the trials. Hmm. So I do have an issue with this theory just because their motive was that they would rob places. Right. Like they would also murder the people, but they would rob the place and get like a bunch of money and a bunch of goods. I mean, I suppose that it's possible that they came in to rob it and there were just too many people and they shot all the people and were like, we got to go. We just made too much noise and they didn't rob anything. But it just mm-hmm. doesn't seem like their M.O. Right. But so, but there's a lot more connecting them than. Yeah. You want to talk about circumstantial evidence. Yeah. Hello, both of these guys have much more Mm -hmm. circumstantial evidence than Curtis ever did. Mm -hmm. So the last suspect that I want to talk about is Doyle Simpson, Curtis's uncle, the one who reported that his gun was stolen. Here's my issue with this man. The first and most important thing, in my opinion, is that Doyle's gun, the one that he reported had been stolen, was not registered and he had purchased the gun illegally. Please explain to me why he would have reported it missing to the police. Yeah. Like he could have gotten in trouble for having it Mm -hmm. because it wasn't registered, which is illegal. And he bought it illegally. So he could have been fined just for reporting it stolen. Why did he need to make sure law enforcement knew he did not have possession of that gun? That is weird. Well, nobody even knew he had possession of it. Exactly. Exactly. Even if, even if it was found, his no friends did or something. Okay. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, he had also worked for Tardy Furniture like years before. So he had a history with the business. He knew the layout. He knew how to get in and out. 
Doyle's sister, also his own sister, reported that on the morning of the murders, she was sitting on her front porch and she saw Doyle drive by her house in the direction of Tardy and then a few minutes later drive away. So he wasn't at work like Mm. he said he was. Remember, he said he was at work at the sewing factory, came out and his glove box was open. So he's lying about where he was. And there was another eyewitness that reported seeing a car matching Doyle's car parked in front of the store the morning of the murder. Oh. Again, this was never brought up in court. The jury's never heard about any of this information. When police went to question Doyle's brother, whose name is Emmett, about Doyle, Mm-hmm. Emmett, like, ran away. He, like, ran away from them, fled, refused to talk to him. Like, oh. So it was real shady. So they were like, well, what do you know, Emmett? Like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Neither one of the two of them are alive anymore. So Doyle and Emmett have both passed away. But their sister gave interviews to this podcast and these investigative journalists. And she told journalists that Emmett, the brother, on his deathbed said that he wished Doyle would have come clean and cleansed his soul before he died. Whoa. So did Doyle let Curtis take the fall all these years? That's something that he did. Terrible if he did. I know. I know. Somebody did. Somebody let this innocent man sit in prison. Yeah. The sad thing is, there's so many sad things. There's four innocent victims that we have, and we don't know who did this to them. We don't know. Some of the families of the victims do think that Curtis did it and that he Mm -hmm. was involved. Some of them just don't know. But either way, it's just a tragedy on so many different levels. Curtis is a victim. These families, victims are all victims. They have been drugged through a roller coaster of a process. And no one knows what to believe at this point. Curtis is such a victim. His family is a victim. It's just so sad. It's so sad. And it's still unsolved. Technically an unsolved murder. Oh, my gosh. And that is the story of Curtis Flowers and the Tardy Furniture Murders. That was a roller coaster. Yes, it was. Thanks for sticking with me. Uh, Thank you for telling it. Really interesting legal case. Yes, I was going to say, you had mentioned that this is the most interesting legal case that you've come across. And that is amazing. That is 100% amazing that he got to prosecute that six times six different times uh, like he should have been banned crime. It, it shouldn't have happened but that guy should not have been the one to prosecute like let's get some fresh eyes on this let's For real like, and what where were the judges when they were like seeing how many times he um challenged jurors like who was it the same judge on all of these trials? no no different ones hmm. so Six different judges witnessed all of them. I don't know if it was six different judges. I think there were were a couple that did more than one. Okay. Hmm. I'll tell you. <sighs> that was rough. That's rough. I feel really bad for all, all involved. I know. <sighs> so like I said, if you want to go, <laughs> if you want to take a deep dive... Because this isn't even deep. Like, there's so right. much more. So much that I condensed and left out. And I know I'm so sorry if you wanted me to say something and mention something that I didn't. I really just tried to get the story and the mm-hmm. high points as much as I could. It's just impossible for me to put all the details in. But there is a podcast, that one that came out in 2018. It's called In the Dark. Um, there's, I think, I want to say there's like, a, it's a whole season on him. Mm-hmm. It's their season two, and you can go and deep dive and like really listen in. Okay, there's documentaries mm-hmm. on him. Like he he's a really well covered wrongful conviction. Just bonkers, six trials. Yeah, I mean, yes. my gosh, on circumstantial evidence. Uh huh. Strictly, no forensic evidence whatsoever. <sighs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Gosh, well, what a system fail. Yeah, no kidding. Well, thanks for sending that our way, Emily. Yes, thanks, Emily. Really, really, really interesting paper, I bet, that you wrote on that one. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to 
hear her thoughts when, I mean, maybe, did you guys already write to, to each other? Should I go back and like read? <laughs> like what her Messages. thoughts are? Yeah. Um, she's pretty, she's, yeah, well, just briefly, but she's, mm-hmm. she's right on our page. Okay. Okay. Well, she's right well, there with us. Oh, thank you for that story. That was very interesting. It, it was a long one. Mm-hmm. Thanks for hanging in. Yeah. Happy Monday. Yeah. Happy Monday. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I won't keep you guys for much longer. So um, go for your deep dive if you need to on this one. Um, send us your thoughts for sure. Find us on Patreon. Um, find us on social. Don't forget. Uh, nope, not gonna. Nope. There's nothing else to forget except just remember. Always remember. You don't forget this. The world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets. <laughs>